climate change, poverty, mental health, young people and adults face a world of constant change. It's the connections we make, innovations and education that come together to help us make a difference. Welcome to the power of young people to change the world. In this program, we bring together leaders that share stories designed to inspire you to serve, learn, and change the world. Now, here's your host, Amy Muirs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Power of Young People to Change the World. I'm your host, Amy Muirs, and I'm here every Thursday on Voice America Empowerment Radio, where we explore how young people are using their ideas, creativity, and passion to shape a better world, and how educators can utilize the power of service learning to redesign education. Each show, you get to hear stories from youth and adults at the forefront of change, youth innovators and educational leaders who are making the world a better place right now. I truly hope that you find inspiration in this show, and if you do, I hope you'll share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you're an innovative young person who's changing the world or an, or an adult who's passionate about engaging young people as change makers, you can contact me at info, I-N-F-O, at nylc.org, and we might just decide to have you on the show. Joining me today, I have an extraordinary young woman. Her name is Merritt Jones. Merritt's a senior advisor for Student Voice, which is a national student-led nonprofit organization that's really working to position students as storytellers, organizers, and strategic partners who advocate for student-driven solutions to educational inequity. Merritt joined Student Voice um, after she noticed some disparities among South Carolina schools and the lack of students in the conversation around how to improve them. In 2016 and 2017, um, Merritt took a gap year and traveled across the U.S. to meet and talk to students about their experiences in in school. Um, I think it was around that time when I first met Merritt. It was like, I think it was the summer of 2016. Um, She attended NYLC's youth leadership training, which focused on education equity. And I was thinking back to that experience and that camp and how I met this young, passionate person who really was focused on policy and education and challenging the system. And that was five or six years ago now. Um, We have this video from the training and there's um, merit um, in there stating that the system has blindfolded us to the fact that we are not involved in the system that determines our future. I just think it's so impactful that five years later, um, she's a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, where she created her own interdisciplinary major in education, public policy, and sociology, while she's still working to ensure young people can meaningfully engage in government through um, things like youth, the Youth and Government Coalition, which we're going to hear more about today. Merritt, thanks for being here and joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me and for the kind introduction. I think it was summer 2015, so we've, we've known each other, yeah, I guess a full six years at this point. Wow. Yeah, I was like, I couldn't remember the exact year, but I knew it had been at least five or six years. <laughs> I feel like um, I really want to start our conversation today by um, taking a step back in time and learning more about you and that journey that um, 
that um, you took growing up, um, what school looked like for you, um, what was your early education like? I think, I think, how does one become so passionate about student voice and education equity? Let's start with way back when. Yeah, and you really definitely met me right as I was starting that journey. Um, but I, I, I think we could take it a little further back to elementary school. Um, I, I grew up at going to Title I schools um, in, in Lexington County in South Carolina, right outside of the city of Columbia. And I went to an arts um, high school, or arts middle and elementary school, where I, I really got to spend a lot of time thinking about um, arts curriculum and seeing an integrated approach. Um, and, and during that time, I think, you know, one of my early activation stories is that I believe I was in third grade, maybe fourth grade. And my mom, who's an introvert, um, who actually didn't grow up in, she grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, decided that she wanted to run for school board. I think it really surprised us. Um, and I, I look, look back on that experience now and, and think, you know, it, it surprises me my mom did that. And so I was very much involved in going door to door with her and um, trying to get her elected. And she was elected and served one term. I um, mean, it was really in that term, I started to see how important those positions were and how important it was to have good and thoughtful people in those positions. Um, that, that board was very dramatic and uh, a lot of, I think sometimes not the best decisions being made for students were happening. And so it was really that early experience from like third to sixth or seventh grade where I was watching my mom come home so frustrated from board meetings, um, wanting to be able to make a difference in that way and finding it challenging. And we were having conversations about policy and starting to starting to kind of raise my consciousness about what school policy at a district level could even look like. So I'd say that was really kind of an, an reflection, the start of me starting to become aware of, of what ed policy could do. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's always the the adults around you that can have such an impact and open your eyes to what's going on in your community. And it's wonderful that your mother took you along on that journey. Um, as an introvert, I can, I can appreciate what it must have taken for her to step out and, and do that. Um, what were some other early influencers um, for you? So then I think we'd have to skip a couple of years to high school. So I went from, you know, this district that is largely made up of Title I schools to another district within the same county. South Carolina has a lot of districts that, you know, there might be four or five school districts in a single county. And so 10 minutes down the road, we moved to a new high school after I'd finished my freshman year. Um, and this new school that I attended was a $120 million brand new public school, again, within the same county. And I think that kind of stark change in my educational experiences going there really quickly had me asking questions about how could this be possible? That within the same county, you could have buildings where ceiling tiles were falling in and teachers were having to finance so much of their own um, like school supplies. And again, same county, 10 minutes down the road, new school district, brand new, beautiful school. Um, with I, I say often, you know, I was in a class where, and we were watching a documentary called the Corridor of Shame, which highlights um, along I-95 near the coast of South Carolina, those school districts that neighbor that um, highway are notoriously underfunded by the state and have been a part of, you know, decades long lawsuit for equitable funding in our state. And so I, I was learning about this 
lawsuit in these school districts, watching it on like a 52 inch flat screen in this brand new school building. And I kind of had this moment of like, how could this be possible? How can we be sitting here and, you know, 20 minutes down the road, schools look so incredibly different. And so it was really those early experiences of, of watching just and experiencing two incredibly different school systems within my state that I, I wanted to know how it could be possible and how young people could start being included in that. So I was just asking so many questions. Um, it, it really started with me meeting with anyone who would meet with me. I went to my school district CFO to ask, please tell me how school finance works. I don't understand it. It seems convoluted. I'm still, you know, six years later, still learning. And I don't know if anyone has figured out fully school finance, but it's something I'm still passionate about. And, you know, I just kept asking people to sit down and talk to me and kind of using my power as a young person to to cold email people to, to see if they would um, answer some questions for me. So I'm curious. So it was your own, like you were sparked by curiosity, it sounds like. Um, when did you connect it to this larger idea of like education equity? I think pretty quickly. Um, the the unit we were doing that was a part of watching this documentary was on education inequality in South Carolina. And I think it took a little bit longer for me to understand the nuance between inequality and equity. And then now I think I'm spending a lot more time thinking about justice um, and what that looks like in the context of the education system. And so I, I think I just pretty quickly started to, to realize that it, it was the inequality and equity that was happening in the school system um, that I was I was starting to see. And then I think it took years of me starting to meet students. And shortly after, I wanted to meet other students and hear their experiences and hear what they were seeing and learning and really just like experiencing within their own school buildings. Um, and so shortly after, I kind of planned this tour of schools with one of my colleagues, Andrew, and we spent a week of my senior year of high school traveling across the state of South Carolina to have conversations with young people about what is happening in, in South Carolina schools and, and how we might come together to, to do something about it. I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask you to think back and were there some memorable moments from that tour, like stories from students that just stuck with you that are still with you today? So many. Um, I, I'll start with, I think the most memorable and one that I we can share with the audience um, afterwards. So we went to a school, um, it's called North Middle High School. So a combined high school in South Carolina and enroll um, in kind of the low country, kind of in the border of, of the Midlands in the low country. And we were having these roundtable discussions. I think we had two or three different roundtable discussions and every discussion we were hearing, um, you, you've got to meet Robert. You need to meet Robert. Robert will tell you about this. And we were like, who is Robert? Um, we clearly need to meet this meet this student. And so finally, Andrew and I get a chance to sit down one-on-one -on -one with Robert. Um, and, and, you know, all the other students had said to us, you know, he runs this school. Um, and so we meet this high school senior who quite literally was running the high school. When I say that, I mean, they the district would call him. Um, for things. He was keeping order. He served as a counselor in so many ways for students since the school didn't have, you know, a specific um, school psychologist. And he was really serving in so many ways as like a quasi principal and like a backbone of the school as a high school senior, um, which is so wise beyond his years. And we instantly called up a reporter we knew at NPR to say, we met this student that you need to write a story about. And she did this really incredible feature on Robert and 
his role within the school and this broader community. And I, I mean, I've still never met anything like it to seeing, you know, literally quite literally a high school senior running a high school. Um, and I, and I'm still in touch with a student. He's, um, he's in training to be a pastor now and just, just really remarkable young person who just dedicated all of his life to his school and community. That is a story that I don't think any of us <laughs> will, will forget after you telling that. It's absolutely amazing the um, what young people can do when they decide that they want to tackle something. And obviously, Robert is a perfect example of that. Um, we're actually going to just take a brief pause um, and for a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with um, Merritt Jones. So stay with us on the power of young people to change the world. Voice America Empowerment Radio. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. For nearly 40 years, the Minnesota-based National Youth Leadership Council has worked globally to transform classrooms, empower teachers, and captivate students by leading the way in providing high-quality, dynamic service learning content to school districts, classrooms, after-school programs, and everything in between. NYLC accelerates student achievement by strengthening academic, civic, and character outcomes through service learning. They tap into the passion, creativity, and ingenuity of all young people to make meaningful change happen. NYLC offers a variety of paths to reach service learning excellence through membership, its annual spring national service learning conference, customized professional development, tools, resources, and soon to be released, Getting Started in Service Learning, a book designed for teachers ready to lead the way to address real world issues with all young people, inspiring them to serve, learn, change the world. Visit nylc.org to learn more today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to The Power of Young People to Change the World with Amy Muirs. To find out more about Amy and the National Youth Leadership Council, please visit nylc.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're here with Merritt Jones. She's Senior Advisor for Student Voice. And when we, um, before commercial, um, Merritt was sharing with us um, the story of Robert and how the senior in high school was running one of the schools um, in South Carolina that she visited um, during a one week um, where she was traveling um, across South Carolina, um, meeting young people um, at schools. And so my question, Merritt, is, okay, Robert was a senior in high school um, and he was running the school. Like everyone told you, you have to talk to Robert. He's, he's in charge. What happened when Robert graduated? Do you know kind of the status of that transition and what that what happened after he left? Yeah, one thing he was really concerned about was was that fact. He he was really worried about what would happen when he left. And so I think we we kind of caught him in a place where he was trying to groom his replacement of someone who, you know, he could show where all the things are, um, you know, make sure that they knew all the teachers and 
and the things that those teachers needed. Um, he was, you know, making sure graduation was running every year and, and kind of all of these crazy things that um, generally adults in the building are responsible for. And so I, he was really in the midst of, of trying to groom a younger, I think a younger female student to be his replacement. And so I, from, from last I heard, I think, I, I imagine she's also not graduated. This was again, to 2015 or early 2016. And so um, have still kept in touch with him and he's doing well, but yeah, he, he was really, really concerned about that fact because he had really been such a central part to that school for so long. It's an absolutely amazing story. <clears throat> I'm, you, you talked about traveling around, um, South Carolina, um, expanding your knowledge, um, on what was happening in schools. Um, you also talked about, um, really thinking about um, instead of education equity or inequity, really focusing on justice. How have you grown um, your own knowledge around this topic? What are some of the things that you do to, to expand and explore and, and educate yourself? I mean, lots of things. I think I'm continually growing. I think this last year especially has been a really remarkable growth year. For, for me, for the work we do at Student Voice, trying to get clear about the language we use and how to be thoughtful about it, ensuring that we are doing our work with a racial equity and justice lens. But um, I think I, I really, over the years, I, I was fortunate, and I know you mentioned earlier that I, I was able to take a gap year. So I got to spend kind of a whole year in between um, graduating from high school before I went to college, reading a lot. I spent a lot of time um, reading about equity and, and also just reform movements. And it was also in the midst of, of the Every Student Succeeds Act kind of reauthorization being passed. So I spent just a lot of time thinking about these issues. Um, and then once I got to college, I, I made my own major so I could really tailor my school experience to, to be studying the kinds of things I was experiencing outside of the classroom. I, I knew that for me to be able to continue to work, I had to make school work for me. Um, and school really just couldn't get in the way of my education. And so I, I really tried to find classes where I could learn from professors who, you know, had done really interesting research on, on writing. Right now I'm spending time um, in a kind of a graduate level social movements course where I'm, I'm spending a ton of time thinking about how, how do we use these words and how do organizations and movements um, and education equity fit into the broader kind of movement space. And so Definitely I've just spent lots of years trying to think through that and have a lot of learning to continue to do. I'm spending a lot of time working on and reading through a lot of abolition um, reading on um, abolitionist teaching in schools and thinking about, you know, how do we fully disrupt the system and blow it up? Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now and still have lots more reading in the abolitionist kind of school to, to continue doing. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, it's so important that piece you said about having school work for you, like that it's supporting what you want it, to, um, what you want it to support. Um, so thanks for sharing that. What was? How did you become involved in Student Voice? How did that happen? You know, actually, it's it's. I think your fault. Um, <laughs> I, I think you all years ago. I I found you all from quite literally it was just in my school newsletter, and that's when I applied to go to um, summer training. But then shortly after, I think in a newsletter you all put out, you know, years ago. I mean, it must have been 
fall of 2015, I, I, I clicked on and student voice was in something you all had posted. And I just reached out to the founder um, and had a phone conversation with him and then was introduced to my, my colleague, Andrew, who, who was going to go on this national tour of schools in, in the 2016 calendar year. And that was when I ended up um, going on tour with him in South Carolina. We hit it off really well shortly after I decided to take a gap year. And then next thing I knew, I was doing student voice full time um, for, for a year before heading to college. And I've, I've just kind of stayed involved ever since. I, I pretty quickly really fell in love with the work and knew that it was what I wanted to do for many, many years to come. And here we are kind of six years later. That's that's wonderful. It's always it's always amazing when you know you get a little um, a little inspiration from a newsletter. So that's wonderful. Yes, power of <laughs> newsletters. Sometimes the power people read of- them, and I certainly did, and it has changed my life. That's wonderful. Um, for those people listening who don't know Student Voice, they all should know Student Voice. So can you tell us a little bit about the organization, um, what they're doing, what they're up to? Oh, wow. Yes, we are up to so much. Um, and again, I, I get to wear a senior advisor hat now. So I kind of do campaigns and strategy work, um, lots of sort of behind the scenes stuff these days. But we're an entirely student-led 501c3. I'm the oldest at 23. Um, and right now we're 15 high school and college students working part-time uh, to run programs for 180 high school students from 36 states. Um, and so spending a lot of time overall, the organization really just tries to position students as storytellers, as organizers, and as partners to to think through student-centric solutions to education and equity. Um, so we do a lot of storytelling work. We have a journalism fellowship and then alumni program where there's a press course. We really like to have young people be telling the stories of what's happening in schools and reporting on issues that they, they care about. So we equip and support them to do that. And then we have a new organizing fellowship, which is our, our largest program right now that is kind of training young people and the basics of organizing and kind of how to take a issue from start to finish in a campaign style, um, I, I guess, yeah, in a campaign um, to think about what an issue might look like in your school or school district or perhaps community at large and then have an ambassador program that's more project-based where if you're diving deeper and um, spending time with the young people who are a little bit more experienced in, in organizing. And so those programs really form our our key base where we're in conversation with young people and those base of students really inform the issues that we act on. Um, Tonight, we're having a conversation about assessment to figure out, you know, what are students thinking about the new regulations that came out around assessment Um, over the last year, an issue that pretty quickly emerged was the fact that young people were um, really, really anxious about taking the SAT and ACT during a pandemic. And so we kind of rallied together to be the student voice and the call to go test optional. Um, And so many, over 75% of universities did. And we're this week and every week seeing new universities who are continuing that um, policy. And it looks like, you know, these tests might really be (laughs) optional to stay. And so that that was a big campaign we did. And we spent a lot of time with the Department of Ed, which we can get into, but... um, yeah, just really trying to make sure that our base informs the issues and the campaigns we're, we're putting out into the world. 
That's amazing. I um, I remember signing on to the letter to try to get um, universities to um, to not require um, assessment for entry, um, at least during the pandemic. But yeah, the more you dig into um, the topic around justice and education, the more assessment needs to be addressed. So um, you guys are on it already, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, when when we talk about student voice or youth voice? I know it's important. It's it's um, it's uh, core to who we are as an organization at NYLC. But how do you how do you at Student Voice talk about and define youth voice and its importance? Yeah, and there's lots of definitions. We use lots of I think really useful tools to kind of talk about it. But a, a definition we use is recognizing and then acting upon the fact that students are the primary stakeholders of, of school and therefore should be partners in shaping it. And so we really try to make sure that we're emphasizing, it's not just recognizing that young people are, you know, the most populous stakeholders in the education system, um, but you have to act on that fact. And I think that's where Student Voice really comes in to try to help not only, you know, organizations, but schools, districts, and then institutions try to figure out how they get from that. You know, it's, it's one thing to say student voice is important or to bring mm -hmm. a young person to the table and then another to listen to them, especially when you don't agree with them, um, which I think everyone <laughs> loves student voice <laughs> until students disagree with them. And so I think that's been particularly true in, during the pandemic um, when, you know, young people quite literally the only students with the lived experience of learning during a pandemic. And, you know, we as adults, I think often, think, um, oh, I was in school once, I know this experience, but right now, you know, that really isn't true. And so I, I think we've really tried to increase and make a bigger case for why student voice, especially in this moment, is so crucial. Well, and let's hope that because of we can take this time in, in place in history and change the direction. And so student voice is incorporated through moving forward, um, regardless of pandemic. Um, how, let me just ask, because I'm sure that there's some young people listening. How can, um, you talked about some of the opportunities for young people to engage. How should young people connect with student voice if they want to get involved? Totally. And what's an, another great program I, I didn't mention, and actually we're, we're having a call tonight on assessment, but we have a learning lab um, that's stuvoice.org slash learning lab that is open to any middle and high school student. We even, there's definitely some college students in there as well, where we bring in speakers and researchers and student organizers who want on issues to talk about the issues that young people most care about. So it is a program open to anyone who get brought into our, our world and our community and get to kind of opt in to training when you're available. Um, so it really is kind of our open program for any young person who's interested in learning about issues to, to hop in to. Wonderful. Thank you. So we're going to take another quick break. And then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Merit. So stay with me, Amy Muir's on the power of young people to change the world. We'll be right back.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. For nearly 40 years, the Minnesota-based National Youth Leadership Council has worked globally to transform classrooms, empower teachers, and captivate students by leading the way in providing high-quality, dynamic service learning content to school districts, classrooms, after-school programs, and everything in between. NYLC accelerates student achievement by strengthening academic, civic, and character outcomes through service learning. They tap into the passion, creativity, and ingenuity of all young people to make meaningful change happen. NYLC offers a variety of paths to reach service learning excellence through membership, its annual Spring National Service Learning Conference, customized professional development, tools, resources, and soon to be released, Getting Started in Service Learning, a book designed for teachers ready to lead the way to address real-world issues with all young people, inspiring them to serve, learn, change the world. Visit nylc.org to learn more today. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to The Power of Young People to Change the World with Amy Muirs. To find out more about Amy and the National Youth Leadership Council, please visit nylc.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm here with Merritt Jones. She's a senior advisor at Student Voice and an active leader in the advancement of youth voice and education. Merritt, thanks again for being with me here today. Um, so Always excited. Be- <laughs> thanks. Before the break, um, we, we were talking about Student Voice and how young people can engage. Um, as we know, a lot of times um, adults can be the challenge that young people face when they're trying to bring their voice and their ideas to the table. So tell us, what's it like once you get the attention of adults? Kind of what are some of the challenges and successes that, that you faced? I mean, they're definitely numerous, um, and it really just also depends on the situation because there's kind of, you know, a, a range of perspective of um, that, that adults are, are bringing to these situations. I think, you know, most often I, it's a balance between often when young people are brought into, especially decision-making spaces, we know how wonky and complicated policy can be, um, even for adults, much less young people who, who don't have the same kind of exposure. So I think starting by, you know, demystifying some of those terms, making sure that you're not using incredibly 
dense language um, to make sure that young people can can really meaningfully engage and participate in those conversations. And then on the other hand, knowing that, you know, young people aren't just experts in their own lived experience. They're also experts in lots of things. Like, for example, I, I imagine so many young people are helping their teachers navigate Zoom and technology because they're digital natives. Um, they do web development, they code, they, you know, are incredibly creative um, in, in arts and so many other things. And so, again, recognizing that young people aren't just experts in their lived experiences to bring to the table, but they also have expertise in a lot of different issues. Um, so that's that's one thing I'm always thinking about, how, how can adults in spaces treat young people as professionals? Um, and if you're not going to ask me to send you a detailed version of everything, if you're not going to ask a colleague to do that, don't ask me to do it. If you're not going to thank a colleague for, you know, saying one single story, um, like, don't thank me. And so I think, you know, we, we really like to applaud young people in a way that doesn't always feel um, incredibly authentic or, or certainly doesn't make it feel like they're being partners in that work. So I think that's one of the, the largest challenges is one, making those spaces accessible. Um, and then like, how are young people being treated once they're in those spaces? something I spend a lot of time coaching folks through, you know, I've had a, lo a lot of incredibly tokenizing experiences and know so many other young people have as well. So really moving beyond tokenization um, once we even can get students in the door because, you know, that's a start, but if, if it's manipulation and tokenization, um, sometimes that can even be more damaging. Absolutely. Um, so off the air, you and I were talking about what's happening in Kentucky. Can you share what's going on there with our audience? Oh, yes. And, you know, one thing that's really emerged over the last year um, is I think, you know, students need to have to rapid respond to issues as they arise. Um, and so some friends I work with in the newly independent Kentucky Student Voice team found out last night through the grapevine that the Senate was going to introduce changes to a bill that would remove the non-voting student member of the State Board of Education, as well as the non-voting teacher member um, that had only been introduced this year. And so through the night, those young people quickly hopped on a Zoom conversation, used you know email and text and Slack to work out a, an entire campaign um, called Save Our Seats that will that launched as soon as they introduced that. Um, and they did as, as they heard they were going to. Now they have hundreds of students across Kentucky, hundreds of educators joining them, lots of organizations signing on to support them. And I think they're gonna ensure that that bill doesn't pass. Um, so it's, you know, that being a huge challenge, this isn't the first time we've seen that. We saw in Maryland where, you know, Maryland is one of the states that has the most student members of boards of education. And I work with a lot of those student members of the board. And one of them, um, you know, was the the was a voting member and was the vote to, to decide whether they were going to go back to school. And when that student voted in a way that parents didn't want, um, parent groups came together and threatened to sue the student or they, they did <laughs> try to sue the student. And so, you know, there were constantly threats to, to young people who were in places of decision making power. Um, and so I, we're, we're starting to see those emerge. And very quickly, I think, again, people underestimating the power of young people to organize and mobilized really, really quickly. I would think if adults have learned anything over the past couple of years, it's that students know how to mobilize quickly. <laughs> I mean, if we look at climate change, uh, the climate strikes and some of the school walkouts and, and things, um, you would think that as adults, we would step back and realize that young people actually can 
when they're passionate and and are want to take action can move more quickly than let's face it adults can we're we're a lot slower than the than the young people who who are um who are ready and willing to be up in the middle of the night so that they can be prepared um to tackle this that's absolutely amazing um how can people support if they want to help support um those young young people in kentucky is there a way that they can do that absolutely so um, the Kentucky Student Voice Team's website is kystudentvoiceteam.org. And on the on the main page, there's already a, um, a place where they've started all the campaign info. Individuals can sign on to show broad support. Um, organizations can as well. But it's the campaign is called hashtag Save Our Seats. And so they're collecting perspectives and collecting sign-ons um, and, and really launching this whole really robust and thoughtful rapid response media campaign and social media campaign to show that they mean business. And they do. Um, I, I, I think those, I think those legislatures will very, legislators will really quickly regret um, introducing a bill to remove the non-voting student board member who, who's also a member of that group. So um, definitely a super easy, quick way to support um, either tweeting out using hashtag save seats or logging onto that website to, to sign on and, and support. Wonderful. So again, um, that was kystudentvoiceteam.org or Save Our Seats, the hashtag Save Our Seats. Um, I also know, so Student Voice drafted a roadmap to authentically engage youth voice for the Department of Education. Can you share some highlights um, from that roadmap and kind of where it's at within with the new administration? Totally. Um, So as the election, um, you know, happened, we we spent a lot of time working in school board elections, supporting students doing town halls, and then quickly realized, you know, there was a moment um, through a transition, and it was the first time a lot of us had really experienced a real transition. And so most of us, the last time there was a big transition, were you know in elementary school, and so really through that transition process decided we could draft something meaningful here um, for the next department to, to really prioritize young people. And so we got together and had listening sessions with, you know, over a hundred young people all over the country um, to, to hear, you know, what were the issues that were really important to them? So we, you know, listened, had tons of listening sessions, worked with them through a drafting process, did the policy translation to say, you know, what does the federal government have responsibility to do? And then drafted a roadmap that has kind of five key recommendations. And so on Student Voice, we we called this campaign to start with students. We also did a survey and collected over 2,000 responses from K through 12 and even college students from all 50 states. So we really heard from a huge array of young people about what they really cared about. You know, they prioritize things like mental health. Um, They really wanted to ensure that the department has a huge role in, in discipline and making sure that the policies are are fair and just. And so they really wanted to ensure that young people were um, being protected against discrimination and felt belonging and inclusion in schools. Um, They care a lot about access to college and affordability of college. And then of course they cared a lot about COVID safety um, as something incredibly relevant to school experience right now. But the full report really kind of highlights some five key mechanisms that the department can use to engage. Um, and, and those mechanisms, kind of the, the TLDR of those is um, 
one, like the secretary's office. So making sure that the secretaries and undersecretaries are in conversation with young people. Um, and then more broadly, having regular listening sessions and roundtable discussions with student stakeholders and then student organizations, um, because I think they're two kind of distinct groups on different offices of the department. So not only in the secretary's office, but in the office of planning and in the office um, of, of post-secondary and really trying to create and infuse student voice across the department. And then third, we, we really think, again, listening is great um, and that's a good start, but we think it's really crucial for students to be included on all commissions and work groups and convenings across the department. And not just one young person, but at least one so that that young person doesn't become the token young person on the commission. Um, we've started to see some, some growth. There was a, a high school student from Florida named to the COVID-19 safety commission which was exciting to see, but would love to continue to see actions like that. And then we need to reinstate the, the person at the education department who's in charge of youth engagement um, and then have some a series of, of best practices around what kind of person should that be. And then finally, we asked for a learn back better, um, kind of building off of Biden's promise to build back better federal advisory committee that has student members to talk about how COVID intersects with economic recovery, racial equity, climate change, and the role the Department of Ed can play in that. That's absolutely um, powerful, all of those points, and student voice is needed in every single one of those areas. Um, I'm, have ha, have you seen movement at all with some of this? Are, are you getting some good response yet from the administration? Yes, we're starting to see some early movement, um, some early conversations with young people. You know, folks are really just starting to get confirmed um, and Ed mm -hmm. is starting to get staffed. But we are really lucky to have really great conversations with the transition team and know that um, folks in the department have received the map um, and are, are optimistic that we are going to be able to start having those conversations and start figuring out how to get students on working groups soon. So we're starting to see early movement and are eager to, especially now that the secretary has been confirmed, <laughs> really start getting student voice um, to be prioritized. So maybe he's listening and we should we should just reinforce this for with him. Yes. Um, Secretary <laughs> Cardona, please start meeting with students um, and start meeting with them soon. <laughs> well, we're getting ready to take our final commercial break. So we're going to pause one last quick time. And when we come back, we're going to hear some final reflections from Merritt. We're going to hear more about the Coalition for Youth in Government, which has I'm excited to learn more about. So stay with us. You're listening to The Power of Young People to Change the World with Amy Muirs. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. For nearly 40 years, the Minnesota-based National Youth Leadership Council has worked globally to transform classrooms, empower teachers, and captivate students by leading the way in providing high-quality, dynamic service learning content to school districts, classrooms, after-school programs, and everything in between. NYLC accelerates student achievement by strengthening academic, civic, and character outcomes through service learning. They tap into the passion, creativity, and ingenuity of all young people to make meaningful change happen. NYLC offers a variety of paths to reach service learning excellence through membership, its annual spring national service learning conference, customized professional development, 
tools, resources, and soon to be released, Getting Started in Service Learning, a book designed for teachers ready to lead the way to address real-world issues with all young people, inspiring them to serve, learn, change the world. Visit nylc.org to learn more today. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are listening to The Power of Young People to Change the World with Amy Muirs. To find out more about Amy and the National Youth Leadership Council, please visit nylc.org. Now back to the show. Afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Power of Young People to Change the World. I'm Amy Muirs, and I'm here with Merritt Jones. And before break, we did a shout out to um, the Department of Education to um, to make sure that they're including student voice um, moving forward into um, into the, uh, their plans for the incoming administration. Um, Merritt, I know you're also. Um, involved in the coalition um, are the Youth and Government Coalition. Can you share a little bit more about that initiative and, and that coalition, what they're doing? Yes, and that one I think kind of started in a similar vein. I, I it really, my involvement and inspiration came out of the work we were doing with Student Voice. Um, part of that was, you know, we really spent a lot of time researching what existed and what federal agencies had spent time engaging young people. And Ed really had not done that in a super thoughtful way. Um, historically, we've seen folks like HHS and HUD um, do specific programming where they're engaging young people. Even USDA through 4-H and other programs have have more thoughtfully engaged young people. So we're spending a lot of time thinking about that interagency piece and learning about federal agencies. And kind of at the same time, the transition team had started a weekly call where young people from different organizations were invited to just listen. And they brought in different folks from... Um, different agencies. And then those now are weekly um, Office of Public Engagement calls that young people are invited to. And through those calls, you know, I was talking with people who were part of them and having conversations over text and through the Zoom chat and pretty quickly became apparent, you know, this is a good start, but this isn't enough. And so we came together to build what became Youth and Gov, which started out as a memo that my friend Jasmine and I with a, lo- a couple of others um, and lots of advice pinned and then um, started just reaching out because I, through my years of work with Student Voice, I've spent a lot of time working with other young people at different organizations. And then pretty quickly, it, you know, it, it was clear that there was consensus that across issue, we could come together around the idea that young people needed to be represented and needed to have a specific office built out to work through issues that are unique and impact young people. And so that coalition has now grown to more than 60 organizations from every issue. We have folks in the gun violence space like March for Our Lives. We have folks in the climate space like Sunrise and Extinction Rebellion. We have immigrant groups like United We Dream. The Center for Native American Youth has signed on. I mean, we have a really broad coalition of, of folks across all these issues who agree young people need to be a priority in this, and not only this administration, but everyone that follows it. I think we, the memo and now an executive order that's been created uh, by this coalition really just seeks to, to create the infrastructure to not only listen to young people, but to have them in policy conversations 
um, by hiring them through personnel and also through building out an office that it's their full job. Um, so long we've so for a long time we've had you know one person in the office of the president who young person, young people are one part of, you know, four or five things in their portfolio. And we really need to ensure that there are dedicated personnel to listening to the issues of young people, engaging them thoughtfully, and then connecting those um, issues and concerns raised to the actual administration of programs that the federal government does. And I think that became really clear. And today is our, our, our official launch. We're on the 50th day of um, President Biden's first 100 days. We're trying to make a statement that we want this done in the first 100 days. We need young people to be a priority. Um, we make up over half of the U.S. population and really need to ensure that our voices and issues are prioritized. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, I generally like to ask the final reflection question being about what advice would you give young people who want to tackle an issue? So I'm, I'm happy to have you answer that question. Like what, you know, what kind of advice would you give? But I'm also curious um, in our last um, couple of minutes together, what's different about this time where it just feels like there's, there's more momentum for this work and for the role of young people than, than ever before. And I'm curious if you're feeling that or if, um, or if you could just respond to that. Um, I, I think you're right. And I hope you're right. Um, I, I feel it too. I think, you know, we saw young people turn out in record numbers in the election. And then we saw young people over the summer turning out for racial justice and showing up in, you know, unprecedented ways. And I think that energy um, from the summer into the fall is is continuing into 2021. And young people, I think, are sick and tired of, of having, um, you know, being pushed to the margins um, and particularly marginalized young people who have been demanding that, you know, justice be a part of their schools and, and systems. And so I think that is that we really are in kind of a watershed moment um, where we've had the convergence of all these crises that have really impacted and disrupted everyone's daily lives, but especially the lives of young people who, you know, were left out of stimulus and left out of so many of the policies. And I think it is clear that that is why young people need to be at the table. Um, and I, I constantly, and I think people who are in conversation with young people know that the things that they bring up surprise us um, and, and their voices are so valuable, not just again, because of their lived experiences, but because of the energy and dedication that they can bring to the work. So I, I do absolutely think we're in a moment and I, I think it is absolutely um, incumbent upon elected officials and decision makers to thoughtfully start engaging young people or, or we'll lose some of that momentum. Um, if we want to continue to see increased voter turnout and increased engagement and democracy, it requires that, you know, decision makers be in conversation and showing up for young people as well. So I, I think we're really going to to figure out how we hold uh, folks accountable for for the way that young people showed up in November and will continue to show up. Any final, final reflections um, or advice that you would give a young person who wants to tackle, um, to take on a strong um, issue like justice in education? I'll echo the advice I gave earlier. I think, you know, there is some power in being a young person um, and using 
that power to call to email someone to just ask, you know, hey, will you give me 20 minutes to ask questions about this or to give me your thoughts and advice on this? And so, and then to, to adults that kind of on that same token, like how, how can you show up and support? How do you, you know, use the skills you might have budgeting to help walk a young person through a school district's budget um, so that they can have a better understanding of an issue? So really just kind of two sides of that coin of how can you use your power as a young person and then your like lived experience and wisdom as, as an older person um, to make sure that young people are supported to not just be leaders of tomorrow, but really, you know, lead today. Merit, thank you so much for joining me here today, sharing your journey and your experience um, and how you how you have led um, from the very beginning and, and tackling um, an issue that you're passionate about and how you've created that journey for yourself. I really hope that the young people listening walk away with a sense of empowerment, that their voice, their passion, their ideas and innovations are what we need right now. And now is the time for them to really share that and engage. Again, you can learn more about Student Voice on their website at stuvoice, S-T-U-V-O-I-S-E.org. Or you can email us at info at nylc.org and we'll make sure to get you connected. I want to thank our listeners for being here with us today. And if you missed the start of today's show or you'd like to access prior shows, visit our homepage on Voice America Empowerment Radio or download the podcast from iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, all those fun places. Next Thursday, um, we're going to have um, a great show. Um, some some folks that Merit knows, um, we're going to um, – have Walter Cortina from Bridgemakers. So they're a grassroots youth-led organization based here in the Twin Cities. Um, they, in partnership with Youth Prize, launched a campaign to overturn a state law that prevented youth from accessing unemployment benefits or pandemic unemployment assistance. So this issue sparked significant engagement and passion from youth across the Twin Cities especially those from low-income families and communities of color. So you're going to want to tune in to hear Walter's story and the impact that this youth-led organization is having on state policy. Um, remember, um, you can always find us um, via, e uh, I'm sorry, on podcasts at Voice America Radio. And um, make sure you mark your calendars for every Thursday at 6 o'clock Eastern. And until next week... Please don't be afraid to serve, learn, change the world. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Power of Young People to Change the World. Your host, Amy Muirs, will return for another program next Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll serve, learn, change the world. 